Well, good morning again, brothers and sisters. I want to wish you a grace-filled New Year. You know, we, we usually say Happy New Year, which is, you know, really pleasant. But we can do better than that as Christians. We can invent our own greeting. Work with me. How about, how about I wish you a graceful New Year, a year full of grace. Let's just start that among ourselves because happy's okay, but there's going to be some stuff in 2023 that is not happy. But grace will be there. God will continue to shower grace on us. So I wish you a grace-filled 2023. Same to me? Thank you. Okay, now we can start. New Year's Day. Whew. Can't believe it. And you know, often, I don't know if you do this, but New Year's Day can be a day to uh, refresh vision. To sit down at some point and realign my life with what I say are my goals. It can be a day to establish some new goals. I don't know if you're neurotic like me, but I I get out my old last year's day timer. Can you believe people still use these paper things? (laughs) Shows you how old I am. Anyhow, I, 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 I look through this. I reflect on it. I pray through it. I try to figure out what on earth happened in 2022, and where do I need to go in light of it, and what do I need to change in light of it? So, I want you to do that. Why do you get out of bed in the morning? There's the question. Well, it's in there somewhere. Why do you get out of bed in the morning? Um... I don't know. You have goals? You have some dreams for the new year? Or are you just not like that picture of the gerbil in the wheel? I hope you're not there. You don't need to be there in the Lord. You can break out of that. But what what are the big goals that you're dreaming of? You know, do you want to be like number one in your fantasy football team at the office? Like, nail it. Playoffs are coming. No Patriots, of course, but, you know. Is that, does that, like, energize you? How about becoming a Lego master? Oh, what a dream, huh? Or, uh, you know, planning a vacation to Dollywood. <laughs> there is such a place, you know. Or, or, you know, clean out the garage finally and organize all that junk. Or cleanse your gut or plan to be the first to see each of the next five Marvel movies. Is that in your daytimer already? What, what is it? Where's, what energizes you? What motivates you? This is the truth about life. It's to live... No, sorry. We're, we're together. To live a life of joy. Really live of passion, of energy, of hope, of vitality, of wisdom. You must be guided by a huge, significant vision. Used to be a book on missions I read years ago. It said, Give up your small ambitions. And that title hit me like, Yes. And Jesus has an invitation to you. 
Jesus' arms are open wide. Jesus says, you can connect with God's global vision. The outreach vision. God is at work, as we sang in our songs. And you can live a life of real, not virtual, adventure. And joy. You see, connecting, giving your life away to the cause of Christ. Jesus said it so simply. Seek first the kingdom of God and his justice. And all these other things, they'll be provided for you. So, today... As we start 2023, I'm here to invite you to say yes to Jesus and to reorient everything in your daily schedule, you know, in this thing. Yours is probably online, but make a new plan that orients yourself, that plans and programs in light of the invitation of Jesus to prioritize his kingdom. Are you on board? By the way, that doesn't mean you all need to go to Africa. Okay, so just relax. Love to have you. You're probably not that fortunate. So, the deal is that there's something built into you. It's built into your DNA. You can't escape this. Built into your DNA by your creator is a deep desire to partner with him in the transformation of the world. Jesus said, you remember, you didn't choose me, I chose you, says Jesus. I chose you that you should go and bear fruit, which means to fulfill who you are as a child of God. You got to be involved in what God is doing. I, I was uh, cleaning up my lawn and uh, cursing out these crazy things. And then I realized there was a lesson there for me. You know what these are, guys? <laughs> Whirly birds, right? Don't worry, I'll clean this up, okay? <laughs> I was hoping Caleb was here. I knew he would help me if Caleb was here. Taylor, but he's my buddy. Anyhow, there are these. There are like... Four million of these on my lawn. And they don't rake. They just, you know, they're just there. Same thing, I went, uh, you know, I went for a walk. I walked under a pine tree. Pine cones. Thousands, thousands. So after I got over my rage, I said to myself, you know what? This is what living things do. Things that are healthy, things that are alive, trees like this, that are strong. They want to spread life. They want to reproduce. And so they do it in abundance. There's whirly birds everywhere. You got them on your lawn? Probably. Well, I think there's a metaphor in that. Healthy churches are like that. Always putting out stuff that wants to bring new life. And Trinity, you're one of those churches with this in your DNA. There's a Bible text I want us to meditate on for today. I've written it on the screen. It's a letter that Paul wrote to some of his really good friends. 
This is a church in Philippi. And right at the beginning of that letter, Paul says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul loved these people. And you know what? Trinity, Paul took the words right out of my mouth. Because you bring me joy. Trinity Baptist Church, Nashua, you bring me joy. Every time I think of you, just like the text says, you have been amazing and grace-filled partners in my life since... Get this, 1973. Whoa! <laughs> so I came here as a student intern. And uh, I've never been alone. I've never been abandoned. You've been so faithful for all these years. You've been grace-filled partners. Financially, you've shared in God's work. I felt so secure. You know, some people think, oh, I could never think about missions because, you know, you're a missionary, you're just out there and you got no company paying your salary and you just, like, well, you're just depending on people to send donations and how does that work? <laughs> it works amazingly. I have never felt so financially secure as when I started with missions. And it's because of people like you. There are churches like you, and you're the centerpiece in my experience, but you will do anything, you know? You'll turn the temperature down in your building and sit in sweaters, but you're going to pay your missionaries. <laughs> that is so cool. So thank you. Thank you. And you invite me back again to talk about this stuff. Wow, what's up with that? And you're so polite, you pretend you're listening. So let's talk about joyful partnership in the gospel. Now let's go back and figure out what did it mean with Paul and the Philippian church. Because that's where we're, we're taking this idea of partnership that brings joy. Partnership in the gospel. So what do we know about Philippi? We don't know a whole lot. Uh, these friends in a part of the world that today we would call Macedonia were very special. In Paul's experience, up at the blue arrow, up in the top uh, corner, that's Philippi. And if you recognize geography at all, that largest landmass sort of in the center is what today we call Turkey. And that's technically Asia. So Paul had to cross that little bit of water there to Neapolis and then up to Philippi. Now, once he gets to Philippi, he's in Europe. So according to the New Testament, these are the first converts in Europe. And most of us here, the majority of us, are of European descent. So in some ways, these are our spiritual ancestors. That's kind of fun, isn't it? And so according to Acts chapter 16, if you want to read that story again this afternoon, it's, it's a wonderful chapter talking about the origins of the Philippian church. There was a woman he met there, and she was a businesswoman. Her name was Lydia, and apparently she had some resources. 
And she had a small group of worshipers at her house. And she was undoubtedly one of the very first converts from Europe. And so during Paul's short stay, and it really was short, um, there are a couple of exciting adventures that Acts records. One of which is this gripping story of a young uh, demonized woman who uh, was well known in this uh, Roman city. And uh, she was she was enslaved because the demons within her allowed her to do some extraordinary psychic things, if you will. She was a property of, uh, well, I guess today we'd say she was property of a pimp. And she made a lot of money for this guy. And the Holy Spirit comes on Paul as he moves around Philippi and preaches. And the power of the Holy Spirit casts out this evil spirit that had controlled the girl. Demon flees. But that did not go down well. From a business point of view, this is a disaster. So the business guys who owned the girl are now outraged. And they stir up the city. And you remember there was this big riot. And uh, Paul was severely beaten at the time. The authorities grab him and beat him some more. And then they throw him into the prison. Isn't it odd that nobody seemed to care about the girl? Just about the loss of money. Ha, ah, how tragic. So Paul uh, and his partner Silas end up in prison. And uh, these are actual, this is the actual photo of Paul in the prison. <laughs> I just want you to know this is not made up. But this is where they had that well-known, that wonderful midnight prayer and praise service. And as they're praising God in this nasty prison, uh, God works. And there's an earthquake and the chains fall off. And the jailer, you remember the story? The jailer realizes this is the end for him because if any of the, I mean, he assumes the prisoners have all fled. And the jailer is ready to take his own life rather than face the authorities. And Paul says, don't do that. We're here. And immediately this Roman prison guard recognizes the power of God and says, how can I be saved? Paul says, you believe in Jesus, and he and his family believe, and they're baptized. And so that's the Philippi experience. Next morning, the governor apologizes, sends Paul on his way, says, look, I'm sorry. It was against the law for me to beat you. You're a citizen, but please get out of here. I don't need this kind of trouble. So Paul goes on his way, and there's a church left. (laughs) We don't know much about it, do we? Lydia was there, probably one of the key leaders, because it was her house, we think. And um, there's a jailer and his wife and some family. And this ex-demonized slave girl is there. It's, it's not a mega church, right? It's uh, a pretty small group. Uh, they're in a very hostile Roman environment. And yet, and yet, well, that's probably what church looked like. If you went to church in Philippi, if you, you, you were there on business and you asked around and said, I'd like to go to church on uh, Sunday night when the community gathers. I'm tangled up here, sorry. There we go. You, you'd joined a gathering that sort of looked like that. But you know what, Paul, interesting thing about this. 
Paul didn't like to take money from churches. He rarely took offerings or expenses. He tried to work with his own hands. So most of the churches, he said, nope, 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 I'm not taking your money. I don't want there to be any confusion about why I'm here. I don't want you to think this is a big scam. So keep your money. I'm preaching the gospel for free. He took money from the Philippians. I'm not sure why. Except there was this special love, this special bond, this sense of partnership. And so Paul gratefully accepted their generous support. And as he traveled the Mediterranean world, he would stop back and see them. That's what joyful partnership in the gospel looked like for Paul and these Philippian friends. So let's jump forward to this amazing little congregation in Nashua, New Hampshire. and Talk about joyful partnership in the gospel. Because Trinity, you are like Philippi. Maybe not the biggest church in New England. Oh, it's amazing to see you all on New Year's Day. Whoo! But deep in the DNA of Trinity, deep in the DNA of Trinity, is this vision and passion to share Christ with the world. Um, your creator built this into you, Trinity. You can't escape it. You're going to bubble up somewhere, somehow. There's this desire to partner with Jesus. Like, you know, like producing these helicopters, these whirly birds, or these pine cones. You're going to be putting out gospel messengers and gospel ministries. Because healthy churches inevitably love and love to preach the gospel when the word of God and the life of Christ is surging in you. So, Trinity, it's who you are. And long before I arrived, I'm not talking about, well, there was this great pastor back in the 70s and 80s, and man, he, he let a rip. Long before I got here, all these people, or most of these people, were already being sent and supported. There was Judy Gay. Hope you still celebrate Judy, Kim's sister, who was in Zaire, it was called back then. Dave and Jean Spruance. David became such a good friend. Don and Peg Penny and Sally Shackleton was already beginning translation ministry. And there's a family called the Gruttas. And there was the Bothwells down in Boston. And you know who else went out from this place? Tom and Donna Wendell. Have them over for dinner some night. Hear the stories. And, and, and Dan and Carol Hatch. You know, Carol hasn't been out much lately, but they went to this awful place called Maine. <laughs> Talk about suffering for Jesus. We had Lenny and Wendy Spitali here. We sent Lenny to prison as a missionary. I mean, not. Kim and Nora were in Japan for some years. Have them over for dinner. Hear those stories. And then, as we've already mentioned with Jeff, we sent a chunk of of the church down to Pepperell to begin a new work because Lenny was passionate about this. It was in his house. And he said, there is no gospel preaching church anywhere in Pepperell. We need to go there. Nashua's good. It's got Trinity. John and Julie Limmer went out. John was a serious IT geek. He gave his life to Bible translation with that. So 
One reason this church was founded in 1950 in Nashua, New Hampshire, because there was no voice preaching the gospel. And because there was no church in Nashua that was sending out gospel preaching missionaries. And so Trinity came into being because of the faith of a small group of people. And, uh, you know, Trinity did this weird thing. They, they hired this just crazy young pastor. I was just finishing my studies at Trinity. And you took the risky step of calling me. Would you call that family? I mean, those are very normal children, aren't they? <laughs> we could not get that orange bathing suit off Kate. About four months straight, she wore that. And it was a wonderful, this is the late 70s, it was a wonderful time. God was working among us. There was, there was some growth. There was some energy. We were changing all kinds of things. And we always had, several times a year, a particular focus on missions. We had missions weekend. We brought our global partners in. We grew to love them. We had some weird uh, missions events like, have you ever done one of these, one of those dinners where you try to focus on the needs of the world and so you set a table to represent who eats what around the world? So there are like two people at the end of the table with a steak dinner, down, 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 and two people at the other end of the table who got nothing. So imagine coming to a church dinner <laughs> and you got people there loving it and you got nothing on your plate. But it helped us appreciate the needs of the world. So it was, it was really a cool time. It was really a cool time. We sent out some people. I think it was around then that Tom and Donna went out to do Bible translation in Papua New Guinea. And um, Joel and Rebecca Martin, some of you will remember them. Brilliant, energetic young couple. They really wanted to go. They came to Kenya to see me, and, and we talked and dreamed. But, you know, God had a different path for them. They were called to be senders. They were called, and Rebecca will tell you this to this day, she's called to make a ton of money. And she can do it. She has a great specialization. But she's not making money for the Martin family to live in a big house. Rebecca wants to make money to support missions. And she does. She does. She's been such a incredible blessing. There was Donna Shackleton. I got to tell you the Donna story again. You remember Donna? John's wife who's with the Lord. Donna was an advocate. She was a voice for the voiceless. We were, uh, I would come back periodically and tell stories about Sudan. You know, and say, yeah, and there's this and there's this. And there's this group, Dom Dominic and Rejoice. And Donna would tell their story. Make sure nobody missed that. Make sure nobody forgot about Dominic and Rejoice. Donna had uh, an issue with speech. I guess it was congenital. She wasn't a clear speaker. But she was God's spokesperson. And this church fell in love with Dominic and Rejoice Aluru and even took them on their payroll because of Donna's voice. And, and so Donna comes to me and says, I need to meet these people. I've been talking about Dominic and Rejoice for all these years. 
And I've been telling their stories. Every time you write a story, I broadcast to the Trinity. I want to meet him. And I said, Donna, that's ridiculous. That's stupid. You know, South Sudan is the most punishing, awful, difficult place I've ever been. It would be foolish of you to go there. <laughs> you know what happened, right? Donna blows me off. She and John go. I thought they were going to die. They made it. They thrived. They live in one of the most primitive villages on the planet. Up a hill, like, I don't know how many yards, like 50 yards up a hill. They're fine. They loved it. I think you went back, didn't you? Anyhow, here was just a Nashua housewife, if you will. But she had an incredible impact on South Sudan through her advocacy. I, I, I got lots of stories. You've just been reading about Elizabeth and her journey, her volunteer work. Uh, we stretched our wings. God sent a prophet. God sent the prophet Lenny. If you're an old-timer here, you know who that is. That's Lenny Spitali. And Lenny had an incredible charisma, a gift of evangelism. And he sent him right into our midst. And Lenny was used by the Spirit to stir our hearts and to really begin to energize us for, for missions, for outreach, for evangelism. And I thank God, which is why it was really hard when Lenny said, I want to plant a church in Pepperell. On the one hand, it wasn't surprising because that was in Lenny's DNA. And it was becoming central to our DNA. It was hard to let go of him. I, I, I dug this out. I, you got I'll show you afterwards. This is a newspaper. It was printed by Trinity Baptist Church. There are so many cool stories in here. We just tried to make it friendly and try to talk about real people who found Christ and found life. And uh, it's just, it's, it's hilarious and fun and pointed. You know what we did? We printed several thousand of these. And then we hit the streets. You know, it's not like a typical gospel track. It actually looks pretty cool. And we went door to door in our neighborhoods. And we said, hey, you know, there's this church, Exit 5. We thought you might want to know about it. We'd love to have you. Simple first step. That was just the spirit nudging us, launching us. So much so that eventually the church was growing and we needed more space. And so we built this. Well, God built this. So that's, uh, you know, there's the old building. That was the new one under construction. And that was probably our first Sunday in here. But this is the work of God in you, Trinity. I just want you to know more and more and more about who you are. About who you are. Oh, by the way, I got one more little element of Trinity. That's Pastor Steve. You remember him, a lot of you. That's him in Kenya. He came over. He was preaching in a slum church, and that's him teaching in one of my classes. So, Sean, get your passport up to date, man. <laughs> You're next on my hit list. So, let me, let me just tell you a few things about my journey. Let me testify about what it means to be called to serve God overseas as part of the global mission. Because um, 
Some of you know my story. Some of you have followed so faithfully and even sent money, which, wow. You know, Jesus said, where your money is is where your heart is. <laughs> so when I see money, I know where your heart is. But, uh, you know, what you need to understand, I'm trying to make clear in this, in this next slide, is I, I am actually a really ordinary person. Uh, yeah, my dad was, worked at Chevrolet, the Chevrolet engine plant in Buffalo, New York, which is now buried in snow. I'm a very sinful guy. But by saying yes to Jesus, <laughs> stuff happened that I could never have imagined. I didn't write this script. I just tried to say yes and, uh, and show up. In fact, uh, there's an important verse in Scripture. Now I'll go to the next one. 80% of success is showing up by the prophet Woody Allen. Wait, no, that's not in the Bible. Cross that out. That's Woody Allen. But it's a famous saying, of course, 80% of success is showing up. And, you know, that's almost how I feel about this journey with Jesus in missions, is Jesus uses sinful but redeemed people like me, and I, I don't actually have much of a big plan. I just show up, try to pay attention to the Holy Spirit, and stuff happens. Because I don't bring Jesus to Sudan. Jesus is there. Working in the whole earth. It all belongs to him. So... Thank you, Trinity, for launching me in this direction. So let me tell you why it's so joyful, why it's so cool. I am going to give you a shameless marketing pitch for missions, okay? And most of you are not too old. Some of you are thinking, oh, good, I'm old. Uh-uh. I didn't get to Africa until I was probably 43, 44, so you don't have to start off at uh, 25, you know. In fact, it took God so long to get me <laughs> sorted out that I couldn't have gone earlier. Back then, uh, there was a song that I think Steve is, Stephen Curtis Chapman was uh, making popular. It was called, Please Don't Send Me to Africa. Don't think I've got what it takes. Remember this one? I'm just a man. I'm not a Tarzan. Don't like lions, gorillas, or snakes. <laughs> I don't know. What was he thinking? That song is so wrong. Being sent to Africa is the best thing that ever happened to me. Aside from marrying Linda. And giving my life to Jesus when I was a kid. But there is this closely guarded secret in the mission community, you know. I think I, we're, we're pledged, but I'm going to divulge this. We're pledged to come and tell our friends, you know, oh, being a missionary is so hard. We, we suffer, you know. We just, we're deprived, we're sacrificial. We're just, we're really laying it all down. 
the best life ever. Best life. When God allows you to work at what's in your DNA. When God allows you to live out what he's built into you. So I went to Africa. Here's me again. I was not young. I looked amazing there. I know that. But that is a 45-year-old man in his office in Machakos, Kenya. And, uh, you know, trying to tell you how I got there would take us forever. But I did feel like a baseball player was called up from some rural AAA team uh, to play at Fenway. It's like, really? I could go there? And again, the joy is in knowing I'm doing exactly what I was put on planet Earth to do. There's something deep. Some of you know that because your work is aligned with how God has made you and you think, this is why I belong on earth. Of course, being in God's will and doing God's work is central to that. Um, so I'm playing a tiny role. You know, I'm nobody's savior. I'm not setting the world on fire, but some of my students are. So my job was to be a professor pouring my life into women and men as a professor who are boldly going to unbelievably difficult places to share the good news about Jesus. So there's partnership in the gospel. You see, you, Trinity, you partner with me. You enable me to go to a weird place. I pour myself into Africans from all over the continent. They go home. The gospel spreads. This is how partnership, joyful partnership. And I don't know anybody as joyful as my African brothers and sisters. You know those two. That's Dominic and Rejoice, Oluru and Trinity. You put them on your payroll. This next guy you're going to see here is a Nigerian pastor who was a student of mine in, in a doctoral program. And he's from the north of Nigeria where all the Muslim conflict is. And his church has been bombed four times. And he's full of joy. And he's not going home. And this is Ramadan, this next guy. He's a giant Sudanese guy and a leader and, and has gone home, which is always a hard choice if you live in South Sudan. But it's giving leadership to people there. And here are some of my other students who go. The, the women on the, on the, what's that? That's the left, is from uh, Congo, uh, Eastern Congo, which is, again, another difficult place. I couldn't minister there, but through partnership, she ministers there because that's her home. Uh, the other beautiful thing about missions is you develop these friendships. I am so thankful to God for the friends he's given us from dozens of nations. And I get to be partners and friends with some of the best and the brightest Christ followers on planet Earth. The, the Korean guy is, has a PhD in Islamic studies because he wants to reach Muslims. How cool is that? My other buddy there is from, well, you know him, right? It's Kyoko Mwangangi, also part of Trinity's big family, a Trinity partner again. Uh, this next guy is in Rwanda. I'm going to go see him at the end of January and teach the word of God uh, in his ministry there. So uh, you know what else happened to me in missions? I wrote it down so I'd say it carefully. I've been falling more deeply in love with my amazing and beautiful wife. 
who was open to saying yes to the Holy Spirit. It was a bit of a struggle. But she pours out her life for poor African women and their beautiful kids. And there she is. She took that uh, mom and her kid to see elephants. These people live in Kenya. This was the first time they'd ever seen an elephant. We'd seen dozens. Um, Here's uh, another one of her dear friends. This Linda just blossomed over there. It's so fun to see her engaging this Uh, these women. And here's the original bag lady, the lady behind those bags out there. And here's some more of the women that Linda worked with, uh, just loving them and teaching them some skills. So hopefully they can make a little bit of money. Yeah. It was good. It was amazing. Uh, You know, we had some adventures. I'll just quickly show you a few things. Uh, I really have no interest in video games or watching The Amazing Race. It's because life has been so cool. (laughs) So you get to go into the slums of Nairobi like that. What's not to like about that? And uh, kids, kids. I remember sitting in the slums there, sitting on a bench, waiting to preach. And I was just swarmed with just snotty-nosed little kids. All of them, they were amazed that skin could come this color. So they wanted to touch white skin. And they were all over me. And I was like, Ugh! And then I thought, you know what Jesus said? <laughs> Jesus said, and as much as you've done it to one of the least of these, you've done it to me. And I thought, wow, I'm, I'm just being swarmed by Jesus. These are beautiful kids. Beautiful kids. And uh, one of my best Easter's ever, we used to have some great Easter's here, by the way. Back in the old days, we had that small building. We used to rent the high school gym on Easter Sunday and have a really big bash to invite the community. But one of my best Easter's, aside from that one, was being in Juba, which is the capital of South Sudan, and in the open-air market being able to proclaim that Jesus is the risen Lord. Doesn't get any better than that, folks. Doesn't get any better than that. And seeing poor Africans respond to the gospel is just an amazingly cool thing. So here's a church in Sudan. People are saying yes to Jesus, uh, acknowledging their needs. And, and they want to be baptized, by the way, right away. So baptism is a bit of an ordeal. You see that white blotch there in the front? That is a giant piece of plastic because there's no body of water around this place. This is Iliu, John. They dug a pit, found a piece of plastic, and decided we're going to do the baptism right here. So the ladies in that picture, they had to carry all those giant jerry cans of water to fill the pit so that this person could confess their faith in Christ and water baptism in a pit in South Sudan. <laughs> How cool is that? And, and, and you know, here's, uh, here's some people, again, youth in South Sudan, eager to hear of Christ and know that there is some hope for their future. And some of them even get baptized in the Nile River. <laughs> I haven't done one of those. I'm afraid of crocodiles. But my partners are able to do that, and that's, that's kind of fun too. huh? And we're able to provide food for kids that don't have food. And this is some of your money, by the way. You're enabling this as you send generous donation. So here's the kids waiting in line. They're ready for their food. Uh, They're pretty happy when they get it. 
Can't remember if those guys are waiting. Yeah, they're smiling. So they're, they just had it, and they are just happy dudes. Um, sometimes the church gives grants. So there's a, a, a lady with a couple of kids, and because of your generosity, we're able to give them some money so she can get some food and maybe pay some school fees. So you're doing this through me, through the church, through them, joyful gospel partnerships. We've uh, dug wells once in a while, and sometimes we even find water. So you got living water and water water. How about that? And again, I, you know, I, I'm embarrassed. I feel like I'm bragging, but please, I am a seriously normal, simple guy who just said, well, okay, Jesus, let's see what you want to do here. I, I teach the Bible. How innocent is that? I've often thought about that. I look so innocent walking through an airport. You know, they're trying to screen out terrorists. And I, I walk in with my Bible and I look pious. And they're like, oh, well, okay. Okay, pastor, come in. But this stuff, this is revolution. This is going to bring down governments. As more and more of his people know the word of God. So, um, I, I teach anywhere I can. In a tent, I teach in a, a shack a church thing out in the bush. This is the chapel at the school. I've taught in, uh, oh yeah, children. Kids love the Bible over there. Sunday school is such a powerful tool in so many of these places. I've taught in uh, very distinguished, well, these are Rwandan pastors discussing the word of God together. They have no Bible training so we're able to enrich their ministries. Uh, where else have I been? Oh, that's the big, giant, beautiful Anglican cathedral in downtown Nairobi. Majestic place. God allowed me to share the word, to evangelize in that, in that same pulpit. So, you see, if you say yes to Jesus, stuff happens. That's why I'm urging you. Are there some annoyances in missions? Well, yeah, you know, some, the neighbors sometimes are not are not so cool. Um, but sometimes making a phone call is really a challenge. That's Linda trying to call home from Machacos, and those cows, they do not wait in line. They just they're they're bullies. Uh, sometimes taking local transportation is a pain. Sometimes your favorite local shopping mall gets bombed. That's, that's not fun. Sometimes the international airport burns down. Sometimes you get carjacked. See why I don't like video games? I got my own video game going here. But it's so good. So good. There are perks, though. Oh, by the way, yeah, I spent a night in that truck with some rebels. But we have other neighbors who are just such a blessing to us. <laughs> or I can go out in the park in the afternoon after a tough day of uh, teaching. We had a national park right around the corner. I can go watch lions. Come on, you can't do that here. Climb a world-class mountain. Oh, I got beautiful gifts from my students. So after this guy graduated, he gave me a gift. And the turkey is pointing, I mean, the turkey is the thing I'm holding. It's not really, it's not a reference to the guy in the robe. Just, 
just for clarity. So that was a wonderful gift from a grateful student. And you just see God's world in amazing ways, amazing ways. Um, yeah, babies, animals having babies, a happy, 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 happy baby. The tiny elephant wallowing in the mud, just loving life. You know, another cool thing we did, this is way too long a story, but you remember Y2K when the world was going to come to an end? December 31, 1999, all the computers in the universe were going to shut off or do weird stuff. We decided to fly to Nairobi. <laughs> Best flight ever. Yeah, nobody was on the airplane. <laughs> we, there were 18 of us on a 747, but we got to go up in the upstairs and party and celebrate every time we went across another date line. And so anyhow. The coolest thing really is, coolest thing is people, friendships, deep friendships with amazing people. Uh, that's a pastor in the slums, partner, been partner for 17 years, him and his family, toughing it out. He could, he could be anywhere in Kenya, but he stayed in the slums. This is a brilliant Nigerian guy, this next one, and, and, and. What a good friend he's become. And his wife, Toyin, is Linda's dear, dear friend. She calls Linda from Nigeria every couple months. You build bonds in this experience that are amazing. Of course, there's Jordan, uh, who you, by the way, the guy in the center, the tall one, you paid for a lot of his education in the Bible. So good job, gang. Good job. And... Uh, yeah, Faustin. So, I got to stop. That's the tip of the iceberg, but let me just ask this question. Why? Did I, you know, did I waste my life? Could I have maybe made something of my life if I stayed here and taught at a respectable seminary or university? Ah, uh, no. What Paul says to the Corinthians, Christ's love compels us. Because we're convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. He died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. That's why we do this, isn't it? And uh, I never felt like there was any sacrifice, really. I got some suggestions about how you can get involved because you don't have to go to Africa. There are a thousand ways. I'm not going to go through those because time is gone, but, you know, two things I was going to tell you. One, any kind of a skill or capacity can be useful. I teach the Bible. That's one thing. Some missionaries do. But if you're a teacher... You can have a huge impact. Ask Heather North about teaching overseas. Some of you didn't know she did that. You know, IT stuff. Oh, please, we're desperate. John Limmer's retiring. You know, you have medical expertise. Can you build a building? Are you an architect? Architects are needed. Are strategic. 
Anything that you bring, construction. You remember Chris Casey from this church? Some of you will, the old timers. Chris was one of these intuitive, fix anything in the world guys. Put it in front of him, he loved it. My basement filled up with water this past week. I called him because Chris is in California, uh, Colorado, and he talked me through how to deal with this. So he came to Kenya for a year and fixed <laughs> a thousand things. A lot of you guys do that and could do that. But again, it's not just about going overseas. There's stuff here. There is our food pantry, which is huge. There are elderly people like me who need friends. Well, I don't need friends, but I'm elderly. You know, there's ESL classes. There are ways to reach out, even cross-culturally, right in Nashua now, aren't there? You don't have to go to Kenya to be with Africans. So, it's about opening ourselves to Jesus. I got a Christmas card. No, it's just a card card. And it said this to me. Whatever you're supposed to do, do it now. The conditions will always be impossible. (laughs) I sort of like that. You know? Because your first response is, no, that's impossible. Well, guess what? It's always impossible. But by the grace of God, we can all be joyful gospel partners. Amen. As we turn now to the Lord's table, I invite you to stand again as we sing. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, But thanks be to God, who gives us the